Come be a part of the Tea Party with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board Doc Holliday's Tea Party right now. It's only a click away. You've got Doc Holliday's Tea Party once again. Welcome back. I'm your host, Ed Holliday, and you're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net, and this may be one of the most profound shows we've ever broadcast. Listen up. Now, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Middle East. We're talking about Jerusalem, and putting your thumb on Jerusalem is going to affect the whole world. Why? Because President Barack Obama has said something that no president has ever said before. People have tried to smooth it out, but I'm telling you, something's going on. It's not mysterious. It's exactly what President Obama said he's going to do before he got elected. It's happening now, and nobody... Nobody is holding his feet to the fire about what he's doing with the United States of America and what he's doing with the, our friends in Israel. So today's show, we are going to be talking about what President Obama did, what he plans to do, where is he going, what's the Jewish community's reaction to it, what's the world's reaction to it, what's the Christian reaction to it, and where are we going so we got a show that is going to be unlike any other show. we got David Parsons from the Christian Embassy of Jerusalem. He's lived many years in Jerusalem. He's going to be on with a, as a special guest answering some questions. And then I'm going to tell you a story about going to a prayer dinner for Israel on the very day, on the very day that President Obama came out with a reversal of what the United States has stood for by our friend and ally in Israel all these years since 1948. So listen up to a show that's going to be unlike any other. This may be one you want to tell your friends about to click on to because we're going to dig down in some of the details and let you know what's going on and let it just lay out there for the world to see. We're also going to have our Tombstone of the Week Award and and it's going to tie right in with the show. Then we're going to have an ending Rock of Liberty speech that again will tie in with this show and we're going to be talking about what's going on from Jerusalem to the United States and back again. We're going to be talking about the Palestinians, the Israelis. We're going to be talking about how it affects America and how it affects the elections in 2012. And overall, what does it mean to the Tea Party movement? That's our show today. You better stay tuned because we have got a show for you. Now, before we get right into the show, let me tell you about one of my fr- I got a friend who uh, meets with Prime Minister Netanyahu, and, he, and I know I got a southern accent. It's hard to say that name. And I told my friend that and said, hey, Ed, we call him BB. Everybody, all his friends call him BB. So call him Prime Minister BB. So the rest of the show, I'm going to call the Prime Minister of Israel Prime Minister BB. It's just easy to flow for this old country boy. So that's what we're going to be calling Prime Minister of Israel. And I also want to let you know one reason we got David Parsons on the show. He has lived in uh, Israel and Jerusalem for many years now as a part of the Christian embassy there in the nation of Israel. And he has friends in, in the government of Israel 
now. He has friends here in America. He's actually from North Carolina. Just so happened that he was a guest speaker tonight that President Obama came out with the bombshell that threw Israel under the bus. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I'll give you a background of that. Every year, in the past several years, I've been a part of what they call a prayer dinner for Israel. And then it's a it's an unusual group, meets once a year there in Memphis, and they have friends of Israel that meet. But, but why Memphis? Well, Memphis, after the Holocaust, after World War II, Memphis was a place that many Jews without any home, that their homes had been devastated in Europe in many cases. Parents uh, were killed and children were left and people, young people struggling to find a place to go. America took them in, and Memphis was one of the place, places that many Holocaust survivors ended up. And there's still a few there in Memphis today. And, and over the years at the, at the prayer dinner for Israel, we always uh, honored those from the Holocaust. But now mostly it's their, their children and grandchildren that come because very few of them are left. There's still some left, but it's harder for them to get out. So... Uh, that evening, on Thursday, May the 19th, it was been set up for months to have the prayer dinner for Israel there in Memphis. And it is an unusual group because you have very liberal uh, Jewish population, very liberal Democrats in most cases, and then you have a lot of con- conservative Christians, and in most cases they happen to be Republican. Not all cases, but it's an unusual group. But it's a group to get together and pray together and, and uh, raise money for helping out causes for uh, in, in Israel. It's a great group. It's an unusual and unique group that's formed in Memphis. I know there's got more around the country, but I'm telling you that it's been a blessing to me to better understand the Jewish culture. It's not any kind of a of how I should say it. it's not an evangelical event for Christians, okay? We go there and respect each other and honor each other as far as saying we will stand for Israel. And that's because the Christians feel like there's a scriptural call to stand up for Israel when it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what we take seriously. So we come together to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it just so happened. On May the 19th, President Obama came out and told uh, Israel they need to be bold. And everybody knows this now, but he he said they need to be bold and go back to the pre-1967 borders with a few land swaps. And that's what he said. And then he tried to smooth everything over. And a few days, or a couple days later, as he spoke to the Political Action Committee for the lobbying for Israel, uh, he, he smoothed over his words, said they were misrepresented. The press misrepresented what he said. Huh! My goodness, I hope nobody fell for that, because this is the second time he's ditched uh, Prime Minister Bibi. You remember a year or so ago, he went to the White House, and, and, and Bibi was there eating at the White House. President Obama gets up, leaves him by himself, just leaves the room, and just, just absolutely uh, purposefully let Bibi know, Prime Minister Bibi, that, that uh, he was snubbing him. And now when Prime Minister Beebe was flying over the ocean, coming to America, coming to speak, and then President Obama drops this bombshell that uh, all of a sudden you've got to go to pre-1967 borders to make peace. Wow. Wow. And some of you think, well, that's what we've been saying. No, you've got to give it up. got to give it up. I don't know a better 
person than a liberal to tell you that a liberal that I don't particularly care about, but I respect because of his intelligence and he always has some uh, great, great insight on things. But none other than uh, the lawyer, the attorney, uh, Alan Dershowitz. And he was talking about President Obama's speech. And basically, when you boil it down to the main point, it was this, that President Obama asked Israel to be bold and go to pre-1967 borders with a few land swaps, and he said nothing, absolutely nothing, about the Palestinians dropping their right to return. You know, everybody knows there got to be things negotiated. But now the president has put more pressure on Israel about putting any, any pressure on the Palestinians. He didn't tell the Palestinians they'd have to do squat. He didn't even say, well, he did say you got to recognize the right to exist. We've been trying to say that for years and years. Now with Hamas uh, coordinating things with Fatah in the West Bank, you got Gaza with Hamas in Gaza, Fatah in the West Bank, the Palestinians, for those who don't keep up with it, that's two factions, the Palestinians, they've come together in a reconciliation, but the Hamas has never, never said that Israel has a right to exist. So now how do you negotiate with Hamas? And the president, instead of putting pressure on the Palestinians, are putting equal pressure on the Israelis and the Palestinians. He puts all the pressure on the Israelis. And Alan Dershowitz calls him out on this. And he says it's wrong. There's no way you can defend the borders. There's no way you can defend the borders, even if you have a few land swaps, the way it was in pre-1967. Prime Minister Bibi at, a, at the White House, at a joint press conference, President Obama didn't say anything. President Bibi pretty much dressed down the president. Either President Obama was illfully uninformed, or he's purposefully ditching the American position to be a friend of Israel. I say that with all, all concern. And that's why this is such a big, important program. The broadcast Doc Holliday's Tea Party is doing is letting you know that never before has an American president since 1948, and Alan Dershowitz says that, never has a president come out and called for the Israel to go back to the borders of pre, uh, pre-1967 war. Even if a few land swaps, it's, it's grossly negligent to go in there and, and tell the Israelis they have to be bold to make peace without telling the Palestinians at the same time they need to get rid of their right of uh, return. Now, some of you are saying, what does this mean? Well, Alan Dershowitz, and he mentioned that, Resolution 242, it was passed unanimously by the Security Council in the wake of Israel's 1967 victory. And it contemplated some territorial adjustments necessary to assure Israel's security against future attacks. And it also contemplated that Israel would hold on to the Western Wall, the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem, and access the roads to Hebrew University without the need for any land swaps. He did all that. But the main thing, the Obama formulation would seem to require land swaps even for the Western Wall. See, President Obama has pushed things over to the Palestinian side. He stacked the deck. Now, how do, you, how do you start negotiations when the president already has stacked the deck? And that's what Alan Dershowitz talks about. He's asked Israel to push all these things over, and the Palestinians had never had that as starting at their negotiating point, 
And now, to keep President Obama from looking more of a Muslim position, then the Palestinians themselves, they have to go beyond what the president is proposing so they won't look ridiculously weak. And President Obama had to know what he's doing. The people talking with him, explaining things to him, he had to know what he's doing, throwing Israel under the bus. Now, that leads us why. Well, there was an article by uh, Alou Ponte, and he pretty much said he thinks that Obama's not worried about losing the Jewish vote or the Jewish financial backing. He had great financial backing in 2008 from the Jewish community, 78% of the vote. And why would he want to risk that? Well, this author wrote an article pretty much saying he thinks Obama believes he has more to gain by pleasing the Muslims. There's more Muslim money coming in, and there's more Muslim voters. So why why would, would Obama care about losing the Jewish vote if he can gain all the Muslim vote? But I'm telling you, the Palestinians have got, if it's a fair negotiation, like Alan Dershowitz says, you don't push everything on Israel, take it off the table, and then start negotiating. Oh, me. There's a lot going on, and we're going to get to it. And I've got to remind you that this is Doc Holliday's Tea Party, and you're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. Yes, I'm getting a little frustrated here because I am sweating because I can't understand this position that President Obama has taken. And then he goes out and tells the political action committee, he goes and tells them, they meet once a year, he went there and pretty much said his words were misrepresented. I am tired of listening to double talk by President Obama. Why would he treat the Prime Minister of Israel so snobby two times in a row? But I know one thing. I, I, I saw President Bibi, uh, Prime Minister Bibi get up and in a strong way tell President Obama he cannot take us back to the pre-1967 borders. You can't do it. It won't be done. And he stood firm on that. And then he went and told the, uh, the same political action committee that Israel is America's best friend and America's Israel's best friend. And he believes that. But you notice he did not say President Obama is Israel's best friend. He never let those words leave his mouth. Did you, did you get that? Sometimes when you don't say something, it means more than when you say something. He knows the American people in the whole back the nation of Israel. It's the only democracy in the Middle East that is where you can stand up in freedom and you can have freedom of speech. He went on to say in a joint session of Congress, President Bibi went to a joint session of Congress and let me say thank you to all the Tea Party community. Do you realize if the Tea Party movement had not gotten off its feet, had it not grown, I don't think the Republicans would have ever taken back the majority in the House of Representatives. But it happened. If the Republicans had not taken a majority in the House of Representatives, I'm telling you, Nancy Pelosi would have never, never let Prime Minister Bibi get up before a joint session of Congress. She had an occasion to. People went to her to ask her to, to and she said, it's too busy, too much to do. She would not let Pre Prime Minister Bibi ever get before a joint session of Congress. No, they reserved that for uh, the Mexican president to try to push Obama's immigration reform. I'm telling you, the Tea Party movement made a difference, and that's why it's important that we come together. And even though we don't agree with everything that the 
Speaker of the House Boehner may be doing, that, that is the very reason why the Tea Party movement is making a difference. We had Prime Minister Beebe could actually stand before the American, the representatives of the American people and tell them that we cannot go back to the pre-1967 borders like the President of the United States, President Obama, has said. Wow. Yes, it's easy to get worked up on all this. And I, I'm telling you, we're going to have to move on in the show because we got David Parsons coming up. And before that, we got the Tombstone of the Week Award. And before we get to the Tombstone of the Week Award, let me remind you that you're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. And you can go to my website, www.teaparty.ms. And you can go there and you can order my book. Walk with me, a Patriot's Guide from the Boston Tea Party to today's Tea Party Revolution. And right now, for a limited time, $9.99, shipping included in the United States. Wow, you can't get a better deal. Get it as long as we got a supply, this certain supply of books from a publisher. We're going to do this deal. We want to get the word out about Doc Holliday's Tea Party. So uh, we got a limited time offer for $9.99. Go to the website, teaparty.ms. Also, click on the banner. It says Tea Party Review. That is the best new magazine. It tells you about the Tea Party movement. If you are not a subscriber, click on the banner right there. Doc Holliday's Tea Party got a banner to Tea Party Review. Click on that. Great new magazine. It'll let you know what's going on in the Tea Party. So get the front page and click on there. Because you need the magazine. Now, let me tell you a little bit about David Parsons. He came to a prayer dinner in, uh, here in Memphis. But he lives in Jerusalem. Has for years. Uh, David is from North Carolina. Has a, a wife, a Dutch wife. And he has a son. <laughs> he was telling us about his son. is uh, Somewhere 10, 11, somewhere in that range. And he was talking about... He always liked to get on the GPS and Google Earth and see where his dad would be speaking. And he was talking about, uh, he asked his dad where he was speaking one time in London, and he looked it up in London where he's speaking and showed on Google Earth and said, here you're going to be, Dad. And then he, and then before he came on this trip, he said, Dad, where, uh, where are you going to be speaking? He said, well, the first time, place is going to be in Memphis. So he Googled where he's going to be speaking there in Memphis, looked over his dad and said, hey, Memphis, that's, that's where they're having all that flooding. That's where they have that messy pee-pee river. <laughs> and so I've, I've heard Mississippi called a lot of things, but I've never heard it called messy pee-pee. So, <laughs> uh, but I thought that was funny. He's telling us that story. He said his son knows Hebrew, Dutch, and English. So he's a smart son, and, and I'm glad uh, David Parsons came. And, but David knows the situation about the Palestinians and the Israelis. He's lived it. He breathed it. He's... He's had a Dodge uh, mortar fire coming in. He knows what it takes to have parents to know that when they send their son to school or their daughter to school, they could die in that school from a Palestinian rocket, from a Hamas. And before we get to David, uh, let me just give you this week's Doc Holliday's Tombstone Award, which you know goes to some words, some actions, some saying that should be buried six feet underground below a tombstone. And this week's award goes to none other than the words of the President of the United States when he said that Israel must go back to the pre-1967 borders with a few maybe possible land swaps. That is absolutely tombstone territory because he did not ask the Palestinians to do squat. And I'm telling you, that's not... 
prepare negotiations. He has no idea how to negotiate if he's pushing Israel to be bold and telling Palestinians, well, you need to recognize Israel's right to exist. We're not even starting to negotiate with that. Those are words that need to be put six feet under, forget that proposal, bury it, put it under the tombstone, and that's this week's Tombstone of the Week Award. And now let's get right on to David Parsons and the interview with him. David, you said that uh, the proposal from President Obama pretty much just pulls the rug out from under Israel. Now, what do you mean by that? Israeli government has been offering to negotiate with Israel for two years, uh, two and a half years since Netanyahu came into office. The Palestinians, once he was elected, the first thing they said, we uh, won't negotiate with Netanyahu for a thousand years. And they've come up with all sorts of excuses and justifications, but they've refused to negotiate, and one of their demands is, look, if we ever get to the table, the basis of negotiations should be the 1967 lines. And what Obama did today is he gave the Palestinians that concession and rewarded their obstinance. They refused to come to talks, and he gave them something, and it, it robs Israel of an important negotiating card that they had worked hard to get back when they uh, uh, worked with the Bush administration to recapture the language of the UN Resolute Security Council Resolution 242 in 1967, that Israel didn't have to withdraw to the 67 lines. They had to withdraw to secure and recognize boundaries. They could negotiate different lines than what they face in 67. And President Bush finally gave them that language and recaptured it. It was, you know, a clear statement of U.S. policy. Obama has moved the goalposts. He's changed that. If they ever get back to talks, the Palestinians are going to dig in their heels. We have America's back on the 67 lines. We want to, you to withdraw to them. And it takes away, what has Israel got to negotiate after that? It, does it mean even right down the middle of Jerusalem, you're going to have to withdraw all the way back from Jaffa Gate? Now, as a sovereign nation, cannot Israel do what they want to do, David? Sure, they can, but there, there's a traditional uh, special relationship between America and, and Israel that Obama is basically throwing it out the window in a sense by, by, you know, Netanyahu is on a plane flying to America and Obama's delivering a speech that by the time he lands, the game has changed and an important negotiating card is now gone in, in a sense because he doesn't have America's back on it anymore. Uh, the, Obama has declared the settlements are no longer legitimate and you have to go back to the 67 lines. You can negotiate some land swaps, but this, this is, you know, uh, inch, square inch for square inch land swaps and it does not take into the security considerations such as Netanyahu saying we need to maintain an IDF presence in the Jordan Valley for a long time because guess what? We don't want rockets being smuggled in or shot across the, the Jordan uh, River at us. David, what do you think about this uh, bombshell that President Obama has given the world now? How's it going to play out? Look, there, there are a number of important issues that they needed to discuss uh, Iran, the, the, the turmoil in the region, and so many things besides just the Palestinian peace process. 
and now it it all gets hung up on this and and the tension is already there that Obama you know says the basis of talk should be the pre-67 borders and not who says look that's the borders of Auschwitz how can we do that how can you expect us to do that and didn't we have a commitment from an American president what is the value of an of a commitment from an American president and I think for a lot of Israelis it's just not the government when you and this is for Americans too the criticism of Obama for say throwing Mubarak under the bus, but not putting pressure on Assad or Ahmadinejad in Iran. And here you throw Netanyahu under the bus. For what? What what did Israel get out of this, this concession that America handed the Palestinians? What did Israel get out of it? They've gotten zero. There was nothing in the speech that was of any new benefit for Israel. You You live there in Jerusalem, and what do American citizens do what can an individual person do in the United States that does not like the way American diplomacy is going at this point? Well, every American citizen has the right to voice their opinions uh, to their government leaders. I think the U.S. Congress is, uh, in particular is going to play an important role in, in the U.S.-Israel relationship because it does seem that there's a White House that is not guarding the special U.S.-Israel relationship like past presidents. And that we've even seen Democratic leaders in the House and Senate give Obama pushback on some of his decisions and moves regarding Israel and the Middle East. And I I think that is a real point of pressure, that that American citizens who love Israel, who are concerned about her, they need to make that voiced to their leaders in Congress because they do have a say in this. And and he has responded. It's the one area where Obama has responded to Democrat, many Jewish leaders and, and Democrats in the Congress when they criticize him on certain moves and statements about Israel that uh, he, he started taking a step back, and that has to be activated urgently. Well, one of the things that American citizens can do is actually, like you said, contact their congressmen, contact their uh, senators. But one of the things that what I start to see a pattern, like you mentioned, when the uh, first time Prime Minister Netanyahu was coming, uh, he was blindsided. Yes. Now, the second time he's coming into the United States, and the President of the United States has blindsided him again. Yes. Do we see a pattern of this administration? I, I do uh, believe that there's there's not the, the respect, the traditional respect for the special U.S.-Israel relationship from this White House. They have pulled things out of the bag on the Israeli government, not consulted with them beforehand on many moves. Uh, I think that uh, you know Christians need to be praying. And, and praying for Israel and also praying about the, the next elections. You know, uh, it is our right to elect a president every four years. I think that we've seen enough now. It is a critical moment. The, the Middle East region is, is in turmoil. Israel shouldn't be expected to make some deal right now, not knowing who the neighbors are and even in the Palestinian camp you know, who it is and the pressure now for Israel to withdraw to the 67 lines. This is way out of kilter of anything that we've seen since the Carter years as far as U.S.-Israel relationships. Now, and it's alarming. Now, you, you, you live in Jerusalem. You've seen things. Tell me, what is the difference when people say the difference between Israel, a democracy, how they respect 
uh, freedom of worship, freedom of religion, and all their neighbors, how much freedom of worship is uh, the country surrounding Israel? Well, by any sort of standard, any measurement of, of democracy, Israel is a vibrant democracy. Sometimes debate, the debate in the Knesset is very heated and, uh, and quite lively. And, and on the streets, people have freedom of speech to even say they, they hate their country and such. And you're not thrown in jail for, as some political dissident for that. If you're a security threat, then that you're handled as a security threat. That's mm-hmm. different. But, uh, you know, when you look at any other country in the region by any measurement, the freedom of the press, freedom of speech, women's rights, minority rights, and, and all of these things, uh, Israel is, is a lone shining light. Uh, there are, you know, various facets of, of democracy in, in, uh, in Lebanon, but it's not a true democracy right now because Lebanon is, is basically... Uh, under the the vice grip of Hezbollah, a terror militia that's controlled by Iran. And if you look at uh, at Jordan, which is an important U.S. ally, it's a monarchy that has been slow to bring in democratic reforms. And in Egypt, even it, it, it's showing that even if you have democracy coming, the people have already been saturated with such hatred of Israel, anti-Semitism, and even anti-U.S. sentiment that, that that's what you're going to elect into office is, is anti-Israel and anti-U.S. politicians. Well, your expertise, what you've seen being living there, uh, what do you see personally with the, what they call an Arab Spring, with uh, yes. what's happening in Egypt and Tunisia and, and what's even going on in Syria now? Well, I think that a lot of it, it was spontaneous and it was sparked by uh, younger people who wanted an end to oppression, all these security services that are just there to guarantee, you know, hereditary dictators for 30, 40 years and such. And they were crying out for genuine freedom and, and, uh, and democracy, but they're not organized enough yet to stand in elections and get behind candidates that are known and, and grab enough seats to have a real influence. It's the Muslim Brotherhood, it's the military-backed parties in some of these countries that, that are more organized, that are ahead of the game, and uh, polls already show that the, is for, in Egypt, for instance, it's going to be dominated by the, the conservative military parties and the radical Muslims, and they have already pledged they're going to review. It's, you know, sort of uh, hidden speak. They're going to annul the Israel-Egypt peace treaty. Now, if they annul that, if that goes back, of course, the Sinai was given in that treaty, and, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm sure the Sinai won't be returned to Israel, yeah. but what... Uh, what, what, where will that leave Israel if all of mm-hmm. a sudden the peace treaty of Egypt is uh, put in a trash can? Well, you're back uh, not only before uh, uh, 1980 when the, at 79 when the treaty was concluded, you're back to 67 perhaps when uh, you know, the, it was public pressure on Nasser. He, he did a certain moves to move troops into the Sinai and kick the UN observer forces out. And, and that bold move, and everyone said, oh, there was no uh, Israeli response, you, you know, let's go further. And, and the nation whipped itself up mm-hmm. onto a war footing and, and crying out for blood. And Nasser felt he had no choice but to, you know, uh, mobilize and send enough troops in and threatening Israel. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to see that sort of whipped frenzy 
but I think we already see the model in Turkey that the politicians who are in power now are radical Islamists who on foreign policy issues they've, they've wanted to show an, an aggressive independence uh, from past Arab and regional leaders. They are anti-Israel and anti-U.S. and that's how they vie for votes. They play the Israel card hoping they'll get votes and guess what? The people vote for it and this is troubling for the whole region. Well, thank you for being with us, David. Appreciate all you're doing, and uh, keep up your good work. Thank you. Wow. Now, David is a wealth of knowledge, a, a well that you can keep digging in, and, and uh, maybe we'll get him back on the air sometime here in the next few weeks and see what's going on. But let me tell you that a couple of nuggets from David Parsons the from the Christian embassy there in Jerusalem. One Number one nugget. He said, what value is... Uh, a commitment from an American president if he's going to throw Pre uh, Prime Minister Bibi under the bus. What value is a commitment from an American president? Another thing he said was, we in America have the ability and the right to elect who we want to be president of the United States every four years. Wake up. Wake up out there. If you think Israel is indeed our friend and needs to stay our friend and ally, I don't think Barack Obama needs to be president of the United States. He has a track record putting a monkey wrench in anything that will help Israel. He says he wants peace and he wants to go back to borders around 1967. How's that peace? It's offering Israel up on a, a table for dinner. That's what's happening. He's offering up Israel on the table for dinner for all its neighbors. And he may not say he won't, he personally may not want Israel to be eaten up, but why put them on the table when all the neighbors have knives and forks and ready to go to eat? Well, now, that leads us right into a Rock of Liberty speech. And before we get to the Rock of Liberty speech, and it's going to be a short one this week, but let me just remind you, uh, go back and listen to the archives. we got some great shows. Tell your friends about Doc Holliday's Tea Party, and this is an important show. And that's why I said we're going to do special, special show this broadcast so if you have friends and neighbors who who love the nation of israel and and know that the nation is vital that there's a place for the jewish homeland on this planet very vital and we need to be a friend and ally to the nation of israel so tell them about this doc holiday's tea party special and link to them and let them know and i appreciate our growing audience I appreciate all our new listeners and i'm telling you that we are uh, moving on and we're growing and I appreciate you sticking with us. Now, let me tell you about the Rock of Liberty speech. This is the difference between life and death. Somebody that pursues life, wants life, do all we can for life, and a culture that loves death and destruction. A few years back, and there's a reason why it's important it's a few years back, and I'll tell you at the end. But let, let me just tell you about... You know about the suicide bombers. You know, they're more than a suicide to kill people. They go out to be murderers. They're murderers. The Palestinian uh, Hamas, what they would do, and they still do, is, is go looking for someone that's not mentally all the way there. And they had a few years back a young teenage boy that was who was not mentally all there. But he told him how to wear a vest and walk up to soldiers and press the 
detonator button. And when he pressed the button, of course, it killed him and soldiers along with it, Israeli soldiers. Well, he was walking toward a checkpoint. Israeli soldiers noticed that something was different. And they got him to hold up. And they all got behind the blast uh, wall. And, and they were negotiating with him to get the vest off. And he wasn't all there. And he couldn't get it off. He couldn't get the vest off. And one of those Israeli soldiers went out and risked his life and his, his family to help that poor Palestinian mentally impaired human. Because the beast, the beast had sent him out there to kill people and to kill himself. He didn't know what he's doing. That's the difference between life and death. Now, I said it's important to let you know that this was a few years ago. Now the beast who go out there and recruit suicide murderers, actually now they don't trust someone to detonate the bomb. They, they do it by remote control. Can you believe the satanic evil and the thirst for death, the kill? Uh. That's the difference between life, those who pursue life, and those who pursue death and destruction. Now, they want to end that way, but I'm telling you, this is an important show. Let your friends and neighbors know about it. And next week, we're going to continue on. We're going to be talking with uh, retired Colonel Robert Guinness. And you may have seen him uh, on Fox News. You see him there. You listen to him all all kind of different programs. He's going to be on Doc Holliday's Tea Party next week. And we'll be talking about where do we go after the death of, of Osama bin Laden. You don't want to miss next week's show. Be there. And thank you for listening in. Thanks for joining us today. And remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You can order Ed's book, Walk With Me, A Patriot's Guide from the Boston Tea Party to Today's Tea Party Revolution by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.